Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. The more we dig into this, the more I believe it's going to lead us into a place of change, a place of transformation. And I believe that we're in a moment in history where God is actually calling us up out of the crowd. He's calling us to be different. He's calling us to be marked by his presence. And increasingly, it's going to get more and more strange when we're walking in his ways. When we're doing his stuff, it's going to be um, quite quite obvious where the light is versus where the darkness is. And it takes a concentrated effort to be there. It takes a real pursuit of God. It takes a real craving for him. It takes a willingness to go after his ways. And so today, just as we go through this, prepare yourself. I'm going to, if you've got a notebook or you're going to take notes, I would highly recommend it um, because I want to take you back through to the beginning. We're going to go back to Exodus and Deuteronomy and all of that good stuff and see how it applies to us. But some of these scriptures are going to be ones that come out of, you know, nowhere for some of us. We hadn't really ever studied it, but we're going to find out that like Solomon said, that there is really nothing new under the sun. The stuff that we experience now, it's been happening for a while in different places. There is stuff that, that humanity falls into on repeat. And, um, when we understand that, when we understand that God is the same always, that we have this anchor that we can go back to. And so as we start talking about his way, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus actually is the way, right? And so John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And last week we specifically talked about the way, that Jesus is the way, and therefore, we need to understand that he has ways. So there are ways that God works. There are, is the way of heaven. There's the way of wisdom. There's the way that we operate on. We access it through Jesus, and then we partake in his ways. But I love that it specifically says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None of those are bad things, right? Like, why do people feel like if, you, if you're religious, you just have like no good stuff. There's nothing good in your life. You're, it's all just rules and regulations and whatever. No, it's the way, the truth, and the life. Like who would, who would rather say, I would rather be lost. I would rather live in lies. And I would rather be leading towards death. Like, no, that's my preference. That makes no sense. So obviously Jesus, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, these are all good things, right? So his ways then are good things. There are things that open up new ways of understanding for us, new access points for us to lean into. So we're going to look at this um, through the path of how the mind, how human mind wants to push back against what are God's ways. So what we're, we're talking about today is the costly counterfeits. Costly counterfeits. And I was thinking about this you know, all, all um, you know, even just in terms of like stuff like rest, stuff like the Sabbath, stuff like taking it, you know, taking a day off, this kind of thing. And I was thinking, I say this all the time that like the whole world has changed in my lifetime. It really has. The more research I've done, the more I find out that honestly, the last 40 years, everything has changed. So for instance, did you know that Canada used to have a law, it was put into place in 1907, called the Lord's Day? It was literally illegal for businesses to be open on Sundays until 1983. 
used to be regulated our national government. It was a federal law. It had different expressions in different provinces, but it was a federal law. Our nation said one day a week, whether we're religious or not, one day a week, this nation is set aside for God. 1983, do you know who changed it? You cannot blame Trudeau for everything, people. <sighs> I actually wasn't expecting that answer. Oh. <laughs> it started off with the brick furniture store. The brick came up with this plan that they would open on Sundays they wouldn't sell anything on Sundays. So you would come in and you would make an offer to purchase and the manager wouldn't approve it until Monday morning. So it didn't count as buying and selling except on, sun on Mondays. I know. And so the government didn't necessarily shut them down because there was a loophole. They felt like it was wrong, but, and so there was all these major, um, chain stores across the nation that started doing similar kinds of things. What they were waiting for was the people to fight back. They were waiting for the people to say, hey, we kind of like this. Hey, it's our right to shop on Sundays. Hey, it's our right to do this. And they waited until the balance tipped and people decided they preferred it. Now, how many of you actually have a hard time getting Sundays off work? And you want to blame your bosses, blame your employers, right? Because... I should be able to have Sunday off. It started 40 years ago when people decided that they wanted something that God said that they shouldn't have. I mean, we're not talking legalism, but I'm saying the honoring of God one day a week was something that our nation did, and people decided the convenience of shopping on Sundays would be worth it. And what has happened is we've shifted so far that sometimes people work 12, 14, 21 days in a row without a day off, and nobody seems to think a thing of it. We have learned to, to run ourselves into the ground because of our freedom. Tell me God's ways cost us. No, there are costly counterfeits, costly freedoms, costly things that we lean into. There's a term that we all know, the way of life. So like different nations or different people groups have a different way of life. A way of life specifically is a sociology-based term that means the way a person lives or the manner in which a person lives. So there will be different ways of lives in different, you know, different income brackets, in different places around the world. If you live, you know, in New York, you expect the city that never sleeps. The way of life there is that the city goes all the time. We were in um, Medicine Hat a few weeks ago and couldn't find any place to have anything to eat past 9 p.m. And so, different way of life there, right? I'm, I'm not even kidding, the people, right? That's the thing. Everything just closes up. Or Sunday, like the, the stuff's just closed down. Other places, there's like, people are into fashion and high-end things. I remember um, in high school, I like grew up small town Saskatchewan. It was Wranglers and button-ups, like all the way. Um, there was this kid, <laughs> and we're in Alberta, <laughs> there was this kid that moved to our school from Vancouver, and he came with this, he had like black leather boots and a long black trench coat, and he was just on the edge of the grunge thing, and man, did he get harassed, because he was like the weirdo, and he, you know, to us, 
And he just came from a totally different way of life. Can you imagine this poor kid? Comes from Vancouver, stuff's happening, it's, it's a sit, and he comes to small town Saskatchewan. Like, we, we didn't do anything, like, it, it, really at all. Like, it was, it was chores, it was, it was stuff. So different ways of life. The way of life, when we understand that Jesus is the way, we have to understand that when we embrace the way, he comes with a way of life. Okay? So a way of life is how we do things, how we operate, how we function, how we engage, how we interact, different ways of life. So the way comes with a way of life, and it is about a relationship. It's whole and it's complete. It's how we, how we connect with him, how we connect with one another, how we make our decisions. John 4, 23 to 24, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, but the hour is now coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So in spirit and truth means it's something deeper than just specific actions. The way of life is more than just the rule book. You know, now I'm a believer, I've engaged the way. Hand me the rule book. No, it's in spirit and in truth. So if we break this down, in spirit means with the whole heart, and in truth means well-informed, in accord, or in agreement with. So if we are worshiping God, we are living in his way of life, we've engaged the way, we've come to Christ, we are now coming to him with a whole heart that is well-informed, in accord, or in agreement with him. It's not just a belief it's not just a religion, it is a new way of life. It is a new way of thinking, it is a new way of doing. And some of us are like, well, obviously. And others of us are like, I don't know why I'm struggling all the time, I gave my life to Christ, and, and everything is a struggle. It's probable that we haven't engaged his way of life. It's probable that we've engaged the way, but we're not doing it his way. We're doing things, we want to do things our own way with a belief and a safety net of salvation, but we haven't given over our, ourselves to his way of doing things. We talked about it this morning in, in song when that word was coming up about, um, you know, built on the rock, that the wind comes and the rains come, but I'm built on the rock. What does that mean? My life is founded on something different than everything else. I have a focus, I have a way of life that is anchored in him. Increasingly, I believe this is going to be of vital necessity. Like, it's always been the truth, but the darker it gets, the brighter we have to shine. The darker it gets, the more we have to choose to live in the light. We have to choose his way of being. We have to choose to learn. We have to choose to spend time with him. We have to choose to hear from him what is his way of doing things. We have to decide that rather than getting the public opinion, we will do what is right. Now, thinking about this, just going as simply as this Sabbath thing, like a day of rest, right? The public opinion of our nation decided it would be in our best interest to be open for business seven days a week, as close to 24 hours a day as we can possibly get. Are we better off? Is anybody better off? Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we, you know, we need to honor this like 
down to the letter, and we know that there's like extremism. You know, in Jerusalem, apparently there's like Sabbath elevators that you can go in that you don't actually push the buttons. It's just predictive where you're going. We actually have a Sabbath option on our oven. <laughs> I know, shocking. I, I, Wayne informed me that. I don't actually use the oven a lot, but... Um, <laughs> Essentially, it can be preset and whatever, and so nobody actually has to push a button to cook something on the Sabbath, which is probably too far. But imagine, you know, when we're talking about we can't find any rest, we don't have any family time, we don't have any balance. Imagine if, I mean, I know Saturday, or the Sabbath was Saturday and blah, 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 but let's just suppose Saturday night, if we're doing Sunday as a Sabbath, Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, everybody's been prepping all day. There's been meal preparations. You come home, and it's like, it smells good in here. There is fresh bread. There is a fresh roast. There's like, the table is set beautifully. And the family has gathered to celebrate. The sun goes down. We gather together at family dinner. And we talk, and we share. And at the end of the meal, dad comes around, and he lays his hand on each one of the kids. And he blesses them. And he blesses their life and he blesses their future and he speaks life over them. And he blesses his wife and he blesses her as a fruitful vine in his house. And there's this common sharing and they celebrate together, they feast together, they wake up the next day and they just rest. They spend time together, just do restful things. They're focused on the Lord, they're honoring one another, they're taking the day off. Monday comes, you go back to work. Does that sound better than most people's weekends, by any chance? But we decided that we need to go to the brick more than we need to do that. So, are you with me? There, there's this thing where when God puts out his instructions, I'm, and please know I'm not talking legalism and the whole like lock it into the, the old school thing. I'm saying that God's way of life is literally life-giving. It literally is how he operates. And so Isaiah 55, we talked about this last week, verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's ways are higher, God's ways are better, and it's not saying that we suck. It's saying, come on up and see my ways. If, if, if you come into my presence, I will teach you my ways, New Living Translation says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you can imagine. So is there a new way? Yes. And we have been accessed into that way through Jesus. The word tells us that we come boldly into the throne of grace to obtain mercy, that we come before him, that we ask, we inquire, we learn, we come and spend time with God. We don't have to go to church have to do my devotions, have to spend time in the Word. We get to come into the presence of God and learn the higher ways. That is a really good thing. That's an offer. That's an invitation. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What do we do when we come before God? We ask for wisdom. I do not know what to do. Do you know what's the least effective thing to do when you don't know what to do? Google it. I know. You know. 
You, you want to know something? You want to know what, what should I do about this? You can Google it and find three million answers that don't agree with each other. Nothing makes sense. You quiet yourself and you go into the presence of God and you ask for wisdom. And suddenly peace comes and you're like, yeah, let's do that. That is a good plan. That's where wisdom lies, in his presence. We know the Jeremiah 33, 3. Hopefully you know this. Call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call upon me and I will answer you. So these things, this, this like, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you, if you need to know something, if you need understanding, you want to know how it works, call upon me. Ask of me. Come to me. What are those words about? Relationship. Right? And so when we know the way, that Jesus is the way, and we need to experience the way, it means that we're coming into the place of relationship where we start to engage him about every part of life. We start to ask him, we start to dialogue with him, we start to consider his thoughts in everything that we do. It seems like that should be so simple, but do you know how self-absorbed we are? I mean, maybe I'll just speak for myself, but that like, I can figure it out kind of thing runs strong with humans. We, we like to think that we've got the answers. We like to think we can solve it. We'll let him know if we run into trouble. It's not the brightest approach, honestly. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, and we want to succeed, going to him about everything is the smarter move that we get invited into. And when we do, we are less susceptible to the counterfeits. But let's talk about counterfeits for a moment. Counterfeits are the number one thing that will draw us away from authentic relationship with God. Not straight up direct sin. It's not so much God's way or the devil's way. It's God's way or a reasonable facsimile of. For real. This is how we think. We operate in a close to, reasonably similar kind of God-honoring, but twisted-out way of operation. These counterfeits are placed there by the enemy who is the ultimate counterfeit. So I want to just, in, uh, in light of this, just to give you a definition, a counterfeit is something made with the intent to deceive, an imitation, a fraudulent replica of something. So I'm going to share with you, um, I thought, Wayne and I probably should confess right on you know, on camera today. Hey, baby, you want to come help me with this? <laughs> I, we got a police sergeant in the house. So yeah, come on up. We're going to just share with you our wealth. Um, yeah. So we were, we were in the Philippines years ago. And um, so we have this beautiful set of Rolex watches. I mean... Clearly, seventy to eighty thousand dollars worth um, that we did buy on a street corner from a guy with one leg um, for about ten dollars. <laughs> I mean, we we just we don't want to like cause a lot of envy in the crowd, but honestly, um, just thought we should share with you. We're not sure exactly where we came from, but we've been we've been informed that it's probable. Probable. Probable, not for sure, probable that they are Molexes and not <laughs> Rolexes, but um, 
I mean, our eyes aren't as good as they used to be, so we don't care, whatever. <laughs> you know, we were, we were uh, presented with the opportunity for these things. We also have like a, a drawer full of pearl necklaces that are clearly going to carry our children and our grandchildren through the future. Um, yeah, actually counterfeit uh, sales such as these attribute to about $6 billion a year in trade that goes on. And so wherever, you know, when you get that, um, you know, that, that uh, purse that should be $800 and you got it for $1,850 on the street corner, it's probable, you know, not for sure, but probable it's a counterfeit. Why would you even buy it? Why would we even buy it? Number one, and these three things are important. Number one, the cost. It is way less expensive. Now apparently these watches, the his watches of the his and hers, are about eighteen to twenty thousand dollars versus like three dollars. I mean I'm a sales shopper, so there's that. Number two, culture. So culture, everyone's doing it, it's acceptable, it's reasonable, it's just, it's normal. It's something that people do, wear, go to, it's the stuff that is normal around us, it's not that big of a deal. Number three is compromise. <laughs> you guys are so good and interactive this morning, it's fantastic. Um, compromise is basically, I am okay to settle for the copy. And the reason that we are willing to compromise is because we don't properly value the original. I know, right? We don't properly value the original. The, the truth is, Wayne and I will never spend that kind of money on those kinds of watches. We just won't. So we are happy to spend five bucks on a watch that helps a guy out, feed his kids, whatever, and it's just fun for us. And it, it's not illegal there, by the way, um, right? Yeah, no, not illegal. <laughs> the Filipinos are like, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, it's just a thing. But we, we have those same basic concepts about all counterfeit stuff. So when something feels too costly for us, we may look for counterfeit. Okay? When something feels culturally acceptable to us, everyone's doing it, we might look for a compromise. And when we don't really understand or value the original, we might look for a compromise. And these basic things are found in the concepts of the word. We find it in the Old Testament. We find it in um, the, the layout as people are learning God, as they're getting to know him. We see how quickly people are to drift into a compromise. There was this um, movie that came out a while ago, a long while ago, 2002. Um, catch me if you can. I don't know if anybody saw it. But it's this story of this guy, Frank William Abagnale, who was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he, the movie was made off of a book which was built off of an autobiography of this guy, this is pre-super technology, who actually in the 60s conned, um, conned people and government and systems out of multiple millions of dollars pretending to be a pilot for Pan American Airlines, a doctor in Georgia, and a lawyer in Louisiana. True story. So this guy went through, and he was a genius, super, super smart. His dad was a con man, so he grew up with it. And he faked his way 
into all these different situations. He faked his way into paychecks that he didn't earn. He faked his way into rooms that he shouldn't have been in, conversations that he shouldn't have been in, because he could. And so the reality of it is, why would you, why would you fake being a pilot? Because it's way easier than going through the training. Why would you fake being a pilot at all? Because everybody was just getting into air travel at that time, and it was super popular. Everybody wanted to do it. Why would you fake being a pilot? Because compromise, he didn't value the real thing. He didn't really care about the idea that people were actually uh, putting their lives in the hands of these pilots. He literally just wanted the uniform and the women that came with the uniform kind of thing. Uh, he wanted the... the, the prestige. He wanted the, the money. He wanted the look. He wanted the feel. He never actually flew anything. Why would you fake being a doctor? Why would you fake being a lawyer? Same things. You want the stuff that you think goes with it, but you don't understand the cost and you don't value what is really underneath it. So let's just look at for, for a starting point on this. When Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, and it's the story of Lucifer. The whole chapter is talking about Lucifer, who we know is uh, Satan. He's the one that fell from heaven. And it says in verse 13, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest heights of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High. This is the ultimate counterfeit. I want the glory, I want the prestige, I want the worship, I want to be like God. This is his basic point of starting, starting reference. It means that everything that, that the enemy produces is like God. It means that the stuff you get baited into, the things that the, the enemy would lure you with, is not something that is overtly evil. It is something that is like God. Are you with me? Subtle copies. Some of them are a lot faker than others. But they're subtle copies. They're subtle draws. They're subtle bait away from the purity of what God wants to release in your life. It's the subtle side thing that the enemy presents to you as good, but it actually is leading to death. Jesus has come that we would have life and life abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything about, when I talk about the fraudulent stuff, when I talk about this guy who, who conned people out of, you know, millions of dollars, stealing, killing, destroying. The, the MO of the enemy comes to destroy, but it comes in a package that is like God. So the way to find out what the counterfeit looks like is to study the original, to know the original, to pursue the original, to be acquainted with the original. This is the invitation that God calls us to. And when we look at this from the beginning, we understand that people have fallen by these baited, you know, counterfeits, these things that have been offered to them that are like, but not. I want to reaffirm to each one of us, I am 100% confident in this. Amy said when she started this morning, this is her hill to die on. I am 100% confident in this. God is good. He's good. 
So the circumstances of life might have some bumps. There might be some twists in the road. There might be some things that need to be adjusted. There might be some things that we have to walk through. But ultimately, God is good. And when we understand that God is good, we can lean into what it is he instructs us to do with confidence. We can trust that he will always be there, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he's not going to leave us hanging. He's not going to lead us into something that's going to destroy us. He's never going to ask us to do the things that will, that will knock us out. He's in it for our good. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He wrote a book for your life. It is good. And so we have to trust that there is a counterfeiter around us, that even the things of this world around us right now are copies of the good stuff that God has for us. The bait, I'm telling you what, the, the concept of we are going to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, so that we can purchase a rest. You, you know, there's just some stuff in God that if we go back and we do it his way, we see some things. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 to 10, it's specifically talking about when God is introducing himself to Israel and the Israelites have been in captivity for 400 years and they've come out and they're meeting God. They're getting to know him. They've been, they, you know, had this history. They, they, they come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So they have this history of faith, but they haven't known him the way he desires to be known. And so they've come up in Egypt and they've come up under these counterfeit gods, these false things that are based on demons and, and worshiping demons, but that, that's been normal to them. And so God begins to introduce himself to them. And you remember the story, he comes out and they, they come up, you know, out of Egypt, says that nobody was feeble or sick amongst them, which is a miracle considering they'd been in slavery. They came out with the wealth of Egypt. They were covered in jewelry and, and things. There were gifts from their, uh, their masters. There were things that they, they came with. And they get to the Red Sea, and they see that there's the enemy coming behind them. And instantly, they're like, you've brought us out here to kill us, which is quite dramatic. Um, so God does this really cool thing and he parts the Red Sea. And the word says that they walk across on dry land, which isn't a misprint. It's not they walked through in the mud. They walked through on dry land and came to the other side. And the Lord waits until the Egyptian army is in the middle of the sea. The water closes back over them and their enemy is destroyed. Takes them just a couple days and they start freaking out again. You brought us here to kill us. It's just this thing. So God explains himself in this particular passage, Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 3. And it says, so he humbled you, allowing you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So this we know is quoted by Jesus, Matthew 4, 4, when he was tempted in the wilderness. It's, God is saying here, like, okay, yep. You got to the end of your bread box. You got to the end of the supply that you brought with you because I wanted to teach you that I will supply for you, that what I give you is what you need, that I will provide for you exactly what is necessary for you to keep going. Some of us start to panic if things start to look a little bit sketchy. And we're like, oh my goodness, you brought me here to kill me. No, he might be teaching you something. There might be an element of this where he's, you know, God's not... God's not taking your stuff, but God will sometimes let us get to the point where we're leaning on him for the wisdom and direction. 
It says in uh, the next verse, you know, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, which means instructs or corrects, so the Lord God chastens you. So like as a parent with a kid, God's going to instruct us. He's going to teach us. That's the, that's the way it goes. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God, here we go, is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, and it goes on. Verse 10, and when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. God is saying here, you should walk in his ways. Why? Because he's trying to bring you to a good place. You should walk in his ways because his big picture plan that you can't even understand right now. See, they have been whining about, we need to go back to Egypt where there were onions and garlic. How very Italian. Um, You're going to the place where there's fountains of water and there's fruit and abundance and wheat and grain and milk and honey and you will be able to be fruitful and multiply and your children will grow up in this beautiful place of provision because I am taking you there but you have to know that the places where you're hitting the edge of yourself I am teaching you this is my supply I'm God I'm the one who's got you I am teaching you I'm instructing you follow my ways because this is where we're going It sounds really good, right? Do you know that the New Testament talks the same sort of stuff? Not, you know, specifically we're talking about milk and honey, but it talks about God is bringing us into good things, that his plans for us are good, that his purposes for us are good, that he is a good God. But we tend to get tripped up on the, like, well, why why is it hurting right now? Why is it hard right now? Why, Why can't I see where I'm going right now? Know the way and follow his ways because his plans for us are good and he's leading us into a good place. The counterfeit shows up though. And so this is really interesting. If we go back into this period of time, the counterfeit shows up about three months into the journey. So Israel leaves with Moses following God into the new land. They get across the Red Sea. They get to a place of safety in the desert. They get to the place where they're at the foot of Mount Sinai and God's beginning to speak to them. Three months into the journey, the word tells us. And Exodus 19, 4 and 5 says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people for the earth is mine. So God is speaking to them. He's like, okay, I got you out of there. I've got your attention. Now listen to me. If you will do what I tell you to do, you keep the covenant with me. We're in agreement together. We're we're walking this together. I have marked you as my own special people. Do you know, we've talked about it here in this room. We've talked about the spirit of adoption. We've talked about the fact that God has brought us into his family. He's grafted us in to that original root. There's this this thing, this place of belonging that God's called us to, but we actually can't just say, oh yeah, I signed on the dotted line, I gave my life to Jesus, but I'm totally living for myself. If we want the promises, we have to live his way. 
we have there's a there's an agreement that is being made so old testament it's very very tangible new testament it's very very relational but it is, it is always about us partnering with God and knowing that we belong to him. And if you read it through, maybe some Sunday afternoon reading, Exodus 19 uh, to 24, the chapters, are instructions and guidelines and, and things that God's giving, like do this, do this, this is, this is how it works, this is an understanding, this is instruction from heaven, this is how you should know, um, and do you want to do this? And then it says in Exodus 24, at the end of all of this stuff, which includes the Ten Commandments, by the way. Exodus 24, 3, Israel responds, and it says, So Moses told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Okay, fair enough. God says we should walk in his ways. We, we're we're going to do that. We haven't had anything but, you know, masters in behind us. We've had whips behind us. We've had chains behind us. Now we've got a God who's led us into freedom. He's promising us life. He's promising us a future. He's telling us that this is the way it, it takes to get there, that these are, the, these are the ways of life. And so we are agreeing that this is what we're going to do. The weird thing is, though, we're going to jump over to Exodus 32, and I want you to see how this plays out. If you Google it, this particular moment here, um, there is, and just, I already told you not to Google things for answers, but um, there's a lot of Jewish websites that actually start with, this is the most humiliating moment in Jewish history. This is the moment where we betrayed God. And so it says, we're going to start at verse 1. Um, so prior to this, Moses has gone up the mountain. God's like, they've got the instructions. And, and God calls Moses and he says, come and spend time with me. I'm going to write out the commandments and give them to you. And you're going to teach them to the people. And so Moses goes up the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. Um, he's spending time with the Lord. And the people are just waiting for him. But then it says, verse 1 of chapter 32, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to him, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made a molded calf. And then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, and they have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Three months. Three months of freedom. Three months away from the whip on their backs. Three months away from near starvation. 
three months away from certain bondage, three months into their new relationship with God, and they panic. And I don't believe it was diabolical. I believe it was the thing that lots of us, if not all of us at one point or another, slide into. God was out of sight. Moses, who they knew and had been following, was out of sight. And they shift into this thing where they're suddenly like, we don't, we don't know what's happening. We need, to, we need to worship. We need to find out, like, we need to have a God to lead us. We need to have some direction. We need to, we need to pacify this craving on the inside of us. We need to do something. Do you know the counterfeits always come that way? Those moments when the flesh needs to be pacified in some way. Those moments when there's a craving on the inside that needs an answer. Those moments when it's like somebody needs to do something. There needs to be an answer. There needs to be a solution. Somebody needs to do something. They didn't say, you know what? We don't care about this God. They didn't say, you know, like, we don't, we don't, we don't want to serve Jehovah. We don't want to serve Yahweh. They didn't say that. They were just saying, Moses is gone. And we don't really know what happened to him. And it's really uncomfortable right now. The really uncomfortable right now is the place where you have to be on guard against the counterfeit. Truly. Those moments when you're tired. Those moments when you're stressed. Those moments when you don't know where to go. Those moments where there's, there's a little bit of weakness. The counterfeits will present themselves. And number one, we talked about what, what makes the, the counterfeit even appealing is the cost so the cost was waiting through the fear. And they said, literally, they said, this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. They, they had shifted from God brought us out of Egypt to this man brought us out of Egypt. Have you ever had the moment where God instructs you to do something? You make a decision, you move, you take a new job, you start a business, you whatever, and it gets uncomfortable and you go, that can't be God. Obviously, this person who led me here failed me. And I, you know, sometimes as soon as it gets uncomfortable, we're looking for an out. And the cost of waiting for that man, they felt was too high. We can't, it's been 40 days and three hours. We can't wait any longer. The cost is too high. The culture, make us gods to worship. Why? Because every other culture in that part of the world had multiple gods, multiple images, multiple things that people worshiped, that they sacrificed to, that they created and made and honored. It was normal to them. For 400 years, Israel had been in Egyptian captivity, and they had seen all the gods of Egypt. They had seen how people sacrificed, honored, worshiped. They had seen how sometimes it appeared when there was, there was the adequate sacrifice that there was favor came from that particular God. They had seen certain things happen. Their culture was, it's pretty normal. When you're in trouble, get a God and pray to it. What does our culture tell you to do right now when you're uncomfortable? What God does it say to set up? I mean, it's, it is everything. It is everything from substance addictions to food addiction. It gets presented to us that is a counterfeit, and it's completely normal. Our culture embraces it. And then compromise. They were okay to do this because they didn't understand the value of God's presence. 
They didn't know him that well yet. They didn't know, they heard what he had said he was doing for them, but they didn't know how good he was yet. And so they were beginning to understand, but it wasn't there yet. If they knew how good God was, they never would have been baited into thinking like this. But they created something for themselves because they felt like the cost God was asking from them was too much because the culture that they were used to was present yourself your own God and because they really did not understand. They were willing to compromise because they didn't understand the value of what it is God's given them. Do you know the bait for us? The bait for us right now is the compromise that is presented right around us. It's the little things that don't seem overtly evil, but they're veiled copies of what it is God wants to provide. The comfort, the peace, the hope, the joy, the safety, the provision, the love, the care. It's the mercy of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the wisdom of God. The counterfeits look kind of like those things but they don't lead us anywhere good. It says when God calls Moses and he tells him to go down, in verse seven, go get down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. God doesn't say they have just worshiped other gods. He says they have corrupted themselves. And the definition there means to decay, to destroy, or to utterly waste. The bait of the counterfeit caused them to bring decay upon their own lives, to destroy their own lives, to utterly waste their own lives. What are the addictions and the counterfeits and the things that we're facing around us right now, what do they do to us? The commonplace of pornography, for instance. It's a counterfeit of a good married relationship. And it does exactly this, decay, destroy, and utterly waste a life. What about addictions, substances of any kind? Feels good in the moment, helps me escape the pain helps me feel in control of things in the way that I want to control them, but it will decay, destroy, and utterly waste a life. What about busyness? And just, I gotta, I gotta be out there doing things all the time. Decay, destroy, and utterly waste a life. Do you know currently, um, there was, I don't know if anybody's doing the daily devotions on the Bible app, but there was a... a what do you call it? A poll taken in uh, 2019, and it was commissioned by the Lego company, actually, asking young kids, 10 to 12 years old, what they want to be when they grow up. Basically, because they want to know who to market to and what, what they should market to them. What do they want to be when they grow up? Do you know what the number one answer was? An online influencer. Which is nothing. I don't, you know, it wasn't, I don't want to be a teacher, I don't want to be an astronaut, I don't want to be a policeman, I want to be an online influencer. We are raising a generation that has been brought up on the counterfeit, that have been brought up on some image of what is real 
that copies the real thing. I believe it is, in, it is on this generation to start swimming upstream, to do the unusual, to start going the opposite direction and say, you know what, this is what the word says, this is what I'm going to do. Not only does this thing, when we bite into the compromise, it decays, destroys, and utterly wastes us, but the thing that really jumped out to me in this particular passage was verse 2. It says in verse 1, Come make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up, up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Meditate on it for a minute. Not only do they decay, destroy, and utterly waste themselves, but they rob the generations behind them. The gold, the treasures that they took out of Israel or out of Egypt were meant to be the inheritance for their children and their children's children. And instead, in this moment of compromise, they took what belonged to their children and they sacrificed it to something else. Compromise doesn't just cost me, it costs my children. It costs my grandchildren. It costs my spouse. It costs those around me. Take not just your stuff, but take from them. Anybody who's been in a life of addiction, you know that valuables go missing, things, you know, stuff goes missing to be pawned and sold and spent on, on uh, you know, drugs or whatever it is. But do you know when you, when you are invested in these other contrary things, like that's an obvious one. Yep, so-and-so, you know, took money out of my purse to spend on drugs. Do you know when you're, you know, investing your time in porn, you are robbing from your wife, your husband, and you are robbing from your children because you're opening a generational gate that the enemy is going to capitalize on. When, when you go after power, you rob from the healthy relationships that are around you, and it's costly. The, the people that are closest to you pay the price for your influence to other people, and your children and your grandchildren pay for it. The things that the enemy can bait us into, these compromise areas. I'm doing this for you. How many of us in this oil field culture up here have heard from from? You know, guys and, and men and women in the, in the uh, marketplace who are out there. And it's like, yeah, I know I'm working too much, but I'm doing this for you. So you can have this nice house. So you can have this nice car. So we can have the nice stuff. It's a counterfeit. Yes. And it's debasing you. And it's robbing your family. God's ways are the ways of life. It is literally as simple as that. And so when people say, like, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know why you want that God stuff. I don't know why you want religion. I don't know why it's so important to you to, you know, be in church. Because it's life. Everything that God instructs us to do is for our good. And it is for life. Even when you go through the really old school, you know, the, the instructions that God gave Israel about cleansing and this and that. Now that we understand bacteria, it was a really good move. You know, he actually got them through generations without killing themselves completely just on the bugs. Like it was, it was a big thing. God knows what it takes to get us to the other side. I, I believe he's encouraging us in this window of time to trust him, to know him. 
to follow his lead, to be on guard against the bait. Do you know the basics, like what God had talked to them about before they had to make this decision? It was literally the Ten Commandments. It was stuff like this. You should have no other gods before me. God's like, I'm going to be your one and only. You don't have to worry about which God you're mad at or is mad at you. It's me. We're in this together. You should not make any idols. Like, they did it first, first chance they got. We are likely to break up our wedding rings and make cows. But what idols will we fashion when God's not moving quick enough for our taste? When it feels like things aren't going the way we thought they would go. It says, uh, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is not just cussing. It's the authority that comes. When we say in Jesus' name, there is an authority and a power that goes with that. It means we're meant to be in partnership with him and not sloppy with this relationship that we've got. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The, the rest that we find in our relationship with him, what he calls us to, that place of rest. You should honor your father and mother. Now we're trying to expand euthanasia laws. You should not murder. Anybody think that's a bad one? I feel like that's a good rule, right? These are the things of God. These are literally the basics of morality that have been spread globally. What God said, this is how a healthy society needs to function. You should not commit adultery. That is anything outside the confines of marriage. Don't we wish that was enforced? Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? If everybody just kept it in the house, like that would change some stuff, right? You should not steal. That's a good rule. That's a God rule. You should not bear false witness. Do not accuse. Do not lie. Do not spread the slander about other people. You should not cover your neighbors, covet your neighbors anything. Their wife, their car, their house, their dog, like nothing. You, you, as much as you might want, Walter, you can't have him. I know. <laughs> you should not covet. What about when it's like, God, I have so little and they have so much. If we go God's way, God, I'm grateful for everything that you have put in my hands. Thank you for it. I am so grateful for the, for the breath in my lungs. I thank you for whatever meal I get to eat today. I thank you for the roof over my head, whatever it is. Even if I'm couch surfing right now, I've got a place to be. I am grateful, Lord. I'm not going to be envious. I'm going to bless people when they get what I would like. I'm, I'm going to choose to love my spouse. If it is do not commit adultery, my option is not to sit home and suffer. My option is to choose to pursue my spouse. You can either have a good time or you can sit there whining for the rest of your life, but the outside option should not be an option. That is healthy life. That is what God has called us to, the provision of God, the honoring God. What is the of greatest worship and adoration and pursuit for us? God will have no other gods before him. I'm going to have the worship team come and we're going we're to close on this high note. Um, <laughs> We got two more weeks of this, so you could just meditate on this all week long. But do you know what's really interesting? The uh, next season that God's called us into 
of refocusing on him, I believe comes back to the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. There is a move of God that we are part of right now where God is going to make himself very known and it's going to come through the lives of his people. But there is a whole other counterfeit thing that's going on. As we're talking about the Ten Commandments today, do you know that tomorrow on the 14th, because there is this global um, climate summit happening in the Sinai Peninsula, there is a group of world religious leaders that are gathering at the base of Mount Sinai tomorrow to ask God for new rules and new Ten Commandments to help with the climate. Sounds good. It's a counterfeit because what God says is if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land we don't need new laws we need to understand that what God says stands that his word never fails he doesn't change he doesn't change his mind he's not looking for postscripts to add on the end of the Bible we have this invitation to know God my caution to you as a church as a family Be on guard for the counterfeits. They are everywhere. They may be wrapped up in your life right now. The answer to that is to repent. God, forgive us. We're coming back to our first love. We're coming back to our first pursuit. The last thing you told me to do is the thing I'm gonna do. It's simplifying the pursuit taking it away from all the stuff and all the things that we wish would go differently or better or faster, and we pursue Him. When I don't know what to do, I go to Him. When I don't know what decision to make, I go to Him. When I don't know what to spend on, I go to Him. When I don't know where to invest myself or my time, I go to Him. My pursuit has to be Him. And life will come out of that. Abundance will come out of that. Blessing will come out of that because that's who he is. Our best way forward is the only way, the truth and the life. Let's stand together. Are you with me on this? God is calling us to be a different kind of people. And I want to pray over us today. And I know some of us might be feeling a little conviction. It's like, oh, I actually have a counterfeit in my life. I have a something that I know is not him that brings me false comfort, false direction, a false hiding place. And I need to let it go. And so today we want to release those things. Some of us need to go home and we need to talk to our kids or our spouse and we need to repent and say, you know what, I've actually been robbing from you. I have taken from you when I was meant to pour into you. I was meant to bless you and I've taken it instead. What are the things that God is calling us back to? Do you know just healthy life is life with Him? doing things God's way. 
So Lord, today we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that we can go back thousands of years and see how your truth is just truth, 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 and it always leads towards life. God, we agree together today that you are good, that your plans for us are good. And we also recognize, even by the scriptures, we can see that the enemy of our soul rose up and said he would be a counterfeit. So God, right now, we corporately, we ask your forgiveness for every place that we've given space for that counterfeit in our lives. Every space where we've given place to that counterfeit in this house, in any ministry, God, in our own homes, in our personal choices, God, Lord, where we've been blinded, maybe we just didn't know to value you like you should be valued. We didn't know that we didn't know the true worth of what we had. God, today we ask your forgiveness and we ask your cleansing. And we thank you, Lord, in the same way that you forgave Israel. And your word tells us in the New Testament that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. God, we thank you that even as we repent of this today, you cleanse us. I thank you for the washing, the washing of heaven even today. And God, we ask for supernatural transformation in our minds, in our thought processes, in our habits. God, we ask for a heightened sense of conviction when there are areas where we, we've had a pattern in a certain way that we don't want to choose anymore. God, we thank you that your word tells us that when we're tempted, you always make a way of escape for us. Help us see the way of escape, God. Help us choose the better way. And Lord, may it be said of us that we are truly people of the way, that we follow you, that we live like you, that you are our way of life. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.